it's obviously been a long time, what with the pandemic and stuff. And I was just, I mean, I've been over in the US playing quite a few times now. Uh, yeah. And um, I was meant to be over in April of 2020, and then we all know what happened there. Yeah. So um, th- to get back to the US, um, I was in uh, I was in New Jersey, New York, and then on to California as well. Um, it was a it was an amazing trip. So so good, so good to be back. New Jersey, New York, and then California, man, all around the globe. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it was a yeah, it's a it's a cool one to tell my friends about back home and say, oh look, you know, I'm not going to be on the grid for a little while. I'm off to U- I'm off to the US, and they're like, oh, where are you going? You going back to New York? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to New York, but I'm also going to New Jersey and California. And yeah. they're like, whoa, that's that's mad. Like, it's uh, it's just so nice to have the world back um, back open in the way that we kind of knew it, and like have the opportunities to travel and share music and see friends and stuff again. And I don't think we can ever underestimate the the power and the importance of that ever again after this pandemic, you know? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and it was, um, it was kind of, it was a little trippy for me. I'd been, I'd been hopping around episodes in your podcast, just, Mm. just picking up stories and stuff, just hopping around there. And then I thought to myself just yesterday, I thought, oh, I better hop to the end here. I hadn't listened to the last, the most recent episode yet. You know, I thought, oh, Mm. let's see, let's see where, where he left off last, you know? And uh, you and I had been messaging about how you were coming to New York, and in that episode, you're talking about how you were planning to go out to New York. I thought, oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> everything's everything's syncing up now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we didn't um, we've not actually released an episode since September 2021, and the reason for that is basically because it was a it was almost like a lockdown hobby for us. You know, we started it was something oh, sure, that we started yeah. doing. So, like my friend Ali, who <clears throat> does the podcast with me, he um. He's been the sound man in my projects for like the last twelve years. We went to school together and stuff, and and then you know we we found ourselves in such an unusual position where he had nothing going on, I had nothing going on, and it was like right, well, let's do something different. And you know, I I have to confess, I'm not a massive listener of podcasts. I've not really got into the trend of you know listening to them and stuff. But yeah. I said to Ali, look, I said maybe maybe we should start one and he was like ah nah 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 and I said well look we're doing nothing else it's something that we can do from home it's an opportunity for us to share our stories and whatnot and and that's that's basically what we did and then obviously we had the opportunity to get guests on as well which was yeah. which was just great some of them had really really interesting life stories to tell yeah. uh, and um, and then obviously the, as the world reopened in September 21 we found ourselves, you know, we've done 52 episodes, one every week, um, and now we're back in a situation where we're flying from A to B, uh, to both together and separately in different projects, and it's like, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to sustain that. Um, sure. And so, and so we've focused now, most recently, on doing um, some live events with, like, a live panel, and um, we had the most recent one of those last weekend in our hometown in Dundee, uh, in Scotland, mm-hmm. Um We've done two others. We did one in Edinburgh. We did one in New York, and um, it's it's amazing how that's grown as well. You know, because it's something you know something that we were recording literally in our in our homes in our in our houses while locked up has become so, something where sometimes laying on your are, couch, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Real casual. Yeah, yeah, laying on the couch, just yeah. chatting nonsense, uh, and then you know suddenly you're you're out there with a, a, a live audience and a live panel up on stage with you, and actually some pretty prestigious guests up there. Like, uh, and I think it's really, really it, it highlighted to me the difference between you know 
we can sit lying on the couch uh, having a conversation, but that can be edited. Whereas oh, you know, yeah. when you're when you're when you're sat on a stage or stood on a stage with a live panel of prestigious guests, uh, it's like you can't edit that. You've got to get yeah. it right. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's that's learning your sheet music beforehand versus uh, you know someone looks at you and says, "All right, now uh, improvise a solo over the next eight bars." Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, How did this podcast start? What What was your story behind this one? How uh, did that come about? It, it, you know, it also started during the pandemic. That's uh, right. Close close friend of mine had had talked about with myself and another bagpiping friend. The three of us had been playing pipes together for a few years. Uh, he'd been talking about wanting to do a bagpiping themed podcast, and he was always all mm. about. Um, it's it's a funny thing that here here where I, where I live in Utah, it, we felt like when we were kids learning pipes. <laughs> there was this weird kind of tribalism between pipe bands, uh, mm. kind of this, uh, like, we don't talk to each other, you know, if you go play with another band, you're a traitor kind of stuff, you know, it always felt a little weird, and he, he was always all about, like, well, we should have friends everywhere, you know, we should all be one big happy family, you know, compete in the circle, but then be friends otherwise, you know, and so that and was... that's such an important, that's a really important point to mention, you know, I say yeah. sometimes, so, I mean, I, I played in pipe bands in Scotland as well, and, and sometimes the political climate of it all does mask the fun and enthusiasm and excitement and friendships that you know that yeah. actually should exist because of this special kind of club this sort of exclusive club of like pipers and drummers and stuff from around the world we really should be trying to promote the instrument and the the cultures as one you know rather than yeah absolutely. heads against each other yeah, and that was hmm. that was the sad thing that he felt like he'd been seeing was that like a lot of friends, if they if for whatever reason, like even if their practice night didn't line up, so they couldn't go to rehearsal or something, hmm. uh, like rather than being able to go play with another band that would fit their 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 sort of the chapter of life they were in, um, hmm. they just had to stop playing at all because of the the weird politics, you know, the tribalism there. And so he was always like, oh, let's wouldn't a podcast be cool? We could all get to know each other and stuff like that. And uh, and so he yeah, he'd yeah. actually he actually passed away. Just a just both like a few, maybe not even a year before the pandemic kind of got crazy, and so then sitting in the middle of the pandemic as well, you know, just kind of thinking like, well, shoot, let's do this, you know, for for memory of him, you know, kind of, and then also like because we can't see each other at the band hall, let's uh, let's have conversations, you know, that's kind of how how it got started. Oh man, what what a shame! But good on you for you know running with this and, and doing it. What is the um, what is the Celtic music scene like in, uh, in Utah? Well, maybe maybe I'm not the very best uh, to, to say, you know, there, there might be stuff happening that I don't even know about, but we do have, mm. we, we've got a decent number of competitive pipe bands, you know, and uh, probably three or four Highland Games where there's going to be a competition every year and then maybe one or nice. two others that, you know, are just for the bands to get together. And then there are, you know, there's a chapter of, uh, of Illin Pipe enthusiasts and, uh, you mm. know, there, there are sessions that are happening... I, I'd bet, I'd bet you've got two or three options every week across the state for a session on the weekend. You know. Uh, oh well, so, so yeah, it's it's certainly active enough. You know. Yeah, that's, there's that's, not that's nothing. Cool. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I'll need to get myself across at some point. <laughs> Man, be, you let me know if you ever have a reason to stop between New York and California. I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> love to meet you sometime. <laughs> cool. Find find some places to come play. Yeah. I'm yeah, really man. Great. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Well, listen. I was thinking. I was thinking. Um, I was thinking maybe. Oh, actually, not, that, that that was that was the reason I was going to ask you about what else to do with uh with your with the all ears, you know, with uh, 
uh, with Weir, Weir's World. Um, you had mentioned doing a drive across America at some point. Uh, mm. <laughs> that might be the opportunity to stop by in Utah. If you can someday convince Allie to come and do the uh, drive across America idea and hit some, yeah. some podcast yeah, episodes in every state or something. Huh? Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. Yeah. That'd be so cool. It would be pretty time-consuming, and it would be a difficult thing to put <laughs> yeah. together, but, man, it'd be, it'd be awesome. Sometime when you can take a year off from everything else you're doing, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm. Maybe 2056. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> you, heard it, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, 2056, we'll be looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, I, I was thinking that um, maybe we could open up so usually I come fading in on these episodes with with just some drones, but I thought uh, with this episode maybe we could come fading in on um, one of my very favorite. Like not that anybody's like forcing me to pick a favorite, of course. Nor nor that mm. your, your tunes need my endorsement, right? But if I had mm. to pick a favorite track, Transformation Blues is probably my very favorite that I've heard from you at all. So how about well, we open with Transformation that. Blues? Yeah, spot on. I love that one. So and you know. I would love to hear kind of like a uh, sort of like a biography uh, run through, if you don't mind, like kind of tell me a little bit about where you grew up and how you grew up. And throughout that sprinkle in, at what point did you pick up the pipes? And also I want to know what were you listening to that led to this sort of bagpipey, punky ska kind of sound that, that I feel like comes through real strong with transformation blues. Hmm. Thanks man. Well, so, first of all, I grew up um, around uh, Carnoustie and Dundee uh, in Scotland, nor northeast Scotland. Um, I um, was a very, I was an incredibly shy young boy growing up. Uh, I quickly lost that when I picked up the pipes. I was going to say, but you, but you didn't play the flute or something. Huh? You went straight to the bagpipes. <laughs> I, was, I was a painfully shy child, actually, and... Um, but my mum's my mum's uncle, um, Jack Stewart, was a quite well-renowned piper in the local scene, uh, and I guess around Scotland. He's um, he sadly passed a couple of years ago as well. Um, he, we were around there one sort of Christmas, if I'm not mistaken, it was like 2001, uh, and he had said, you know, why don't you why don't you give the pipes a go? Why don't you give them a try? And I was like, yeah. Phew. Hey, there's not a musical bone in my body. I don't fancy it. It's not for me. Uh, um, so he didn't have like a reason to be saying that. He wasn't like, oh, this no, kid, no. this kid loves music. He just, he just pulled that out of the air, huh? Nah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And um, it's like, nah, my, my parents were not, were not, are not pushy parents. That's really important to note. But they were like, why don't, why don't you have a go? And I was like, well, okay. And I, and I went along, and I just, I fell in love with it. Absolutely, uh, like completely and entirely. And you know, I heard an amazing quote from uh, Rab Matheson a few years ago, and he was he was talking about how um, once you're hooked, it's like a disease that you can't mm -hmm. shake. You can't you can't get rid of it. And like, yeah. but but the most positive of diseases, you know, one that you know. And I think I'm I'm talking there about my uh, my shyness as a child. Like, uh, it, that single moment, I guess, you can trace back to then leading to all sorts of friendships being formed, all sorts of different, I don't know, just things making, connections being made, and, and, and I guess everything stems from that. So t 2002, mm. 2002, I um, had started playing, um, and then it slowly led to me 
picking up other instruments, you know. Um, I, I now play guitar, I can sing a bit, I've certainly improved in that over the years. I picked up the whistle during the pandemic. I can, you know, I can try to tune on lots of other bits, you know, like ukulele, banjo, bass, I'm not horrendous on, mm. um, you know, so um, it's all kind of stemmed from there. The Gliadric thing, that stemmed from high school. Um, we, um, well, my brother's a drummer, so obviously I, by default I have to know him. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, then, yeah. and then, and then, and then, um, I'd sort of become friendly with uh, Ross. Uh, he was the year above me at school, and it was sort of like we were doing some sort of charity stuff and that for different things at the school. And it was like, right, well, let's let's try and put something together, inspired by you know the classic. Like I loved Gordon Duncan. I still do. Um, I wished I could have met him. Uh, I, I, I was feel- inspired by. Sorry, I, I I do I just I want to drop in there that I do feel like I could hear that when I when I first started listening to your piping I felt like I mean I and mean, you do play some Gordon Duncan or maybe just some is it some Ross Ainsley stuff that I've heard you play yeah it, yeah, yeah and, yeah, and that both, that yeah. of course that trickles through too you know Ross being connected mm. to Gordon too you know but oh, but I, I do 100%. feel like I could I, I I'm I feel like I could hear it you know I could oh, this guy loved Gordon Duncan surely. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I think I would say ninety percent of people coming on your podcast will say, "Oh God, <laughs> who does it?" Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. And so I found myself listening to those kind of um, pipe-related things. There was also the Red Hot Chili Peppers thing that was taken off, and I also, you know, growing up, I I I haven't always listened to bagpipe music. I'm kind of most. Um, if I'm if I'm putting on some music in the car or putting on some vinyls in the house, I listen to like you know a lot of a lot of rock music, indie rock music. Um, I was massively inspired by bands like the Libertines, Oasis. Um, I do love some ska as well, and so over time, um, all of those influences have kind of begun to seep through mm. the music of Gliadric, and it's no longer you know just a case of like writing a bagpipe piece of music it's a case of writing something that is going to work on on a major scale like actually with like a with a, a big lineup of musicians behind it yeah yeah how um not not to hop around too much you know i'll, I'll pull you mm. back in there but how does that work for you i mean um i mean are you playing on on a b flat chanter like how do you you know because yeah. when you when you're when you're composing I know that you've you've got you've got horns in there too in a lot of your in your in your arranging and you know if you got a B flat instrument that might make it easier but if you're you know if you if you're working with something well just t- tell me a little bit about that how do you bring music together yourself Yeah so uh, yeah you're right it's a B flat chant that I'm playing the um the uh the G1 um B flat chanter mm-hmm. I um I guess most mostly um, I am the starting point. Uh, I will write either, I'll either compose something or think, you know, that song can be arranged for the pipes in this way. And then normally from there, it sort of germinates onto Ross and I'll say, look, Ross, what do you think of this? Do you think this is a gore? Ross is, Ross is, he's not just one of my best friends. He's one of the most honest people that I know. You know, uh, like uh, if if he if he says oh you know Craig that's that's a lot of shit we definitely can't work with that yeah. uh, like he 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 will he he he'll be straight up honest with me. He's a good uh, filter to pass this through then. Huh? Ab- absolutely. So yeah. once he gets through the Ross White filter, then 
and then we're on to the other guys and we get ourselves together in the room and we see if we can sort of beef it up and, and, and how we can you know how we can make each different piece of music uh, unique uh, mm. because ultimately there are, there are lots of bagpipe acts out there and um, uh, which is great there, there, there's a growing number of bagpipe related acts but you want something that stands out from the crowd and it's quite unique as well and um, so and I guess that's what we hope to achieve mostly with the with the stuff with Gliadric. Yeah, and that um, to be to be clear, so Ross was a friend in high school. He's the one who's playing guitar, and I hear mm-hmm. we hear a lot of vocals from him on your albums, right? Yeah. So Ross, um, yeah, Ross was uh, a friend from school, and uh, yeah, he plays guitar and some some vocals as well on the records too. Yeah. Now and now Ross must be must be comfortable with the bagpipes at this point right i i remember hearing at some point that your your bass player didn't like pipes does he still not or is that <laughs> no he, he hates them he hates them like you know it's, it's, around, it's, huh? it's, it's at the point where you know like uh, we have we have separate dressing rooms yeah, just so that he just so that he doesn't have to listen to the the, the tuning of the pipes but like i mean I say he hates them. We we use that as a as a bit of a fun joke to to our point. He he sure. doesn't he, he wouldn't so he wouldn't choose to listen to them. I would say as more of a fair reflection. Yeah. Um, but obviously he's he loves being a part of the band. Um, and we love having him. And so we make it work. We meet in the middle. We compromise for Graham. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's fun. It's great though that like so much great great music infused with bagpipes can come from a group where uh, even one of the members isn't super enthusiastic about bagpipes on their own <laughs> yeah and I think <clears throat> I think the thing is with the pipes is that they they are in a way a bit of a marmite instrument aren't they because like they're not exactly a quiet instrument for starters for they, sure. um, they, and I think the thing is as well is you can have a bad guitar player and it's like oh yeah whatever if you hear the pipes played badly, it's mm. like, oh, oh, man, it's really like, oh, bad. it's, yeah, like, um, and so, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's possibly where some of the Marmite stuff stems from, and I think if we can, if we can bridge that gap uh, in some way to reach out to people who, like Graham, would not choose to listen to the pipes, um, mm. but actually make them go, oh, actually, that sounded pretty cool up there, you know, like, uh, that, then that's that's a win for us, you know? Yeah. Well, and speaking of, I wondered if that, is that part of, I mean, you mentioned the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Um, like, on, honestly, the stuff I get most excited about listening to on your albums are your originals. Uh, but you, you have got some excellent, like, really well done, very classy covers. Um, maybe maybe one we could pull in here is that maybe we could pull in a sample of uh, Take On Me. Uh, I really like that tune anyway, so I was excited Of Dundee, you know, maybe that aren't as enthusiastically already aware of you. Um, 
do you ever like open with some covers to kind of get them on your side first you know um is there strategy there or is the, are the covers just for fun no there's definitely strategy um there's undoubtedly strategy we um over the years when we've been structuring a set list we kind of put it into three different categories and then sprinkle them through the set so one is obviously the covers that have been arranged for the pipes. Mm -hmm. One is original bagpipe-led material that I've that I've written, and the other is um, stuff that is vocal-led. Mm -hmm. um, and so we sprinkle that through the set for 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 a couple of different reasons. One, so that if there are people <laughs> like poor Graham who would not necessarily listen to the pipes, that the that the set is broken up so that you know there is a vocal element to it through the set that that does break up the the bagpipe led stuff. <laughs> Give them some um, relief. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then um, also, yeah, like the, it's not everyone that would listen to um, a set of just original bagpipe led compositions, and so everything is strategically placed in our set list. Um, over the years, we have opened with different stuff. Uh, at the minute, it's usually Transformation Blues or I'm a Believer, mm. um, because if you're not captured by the, the horn section at the start of Transformation Blues, then you ought to not be at our show in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then I'm a Believer is obviously so... so um, instant as well and well recognizable yeah in terms of a clo in terms of a closing segment of the show it's uh, at the moment and for a little while now actually it's been uh the big one two three of uh take on me uh rock me mama and uh live in la vida loca at the minute we're closing mm. with live in la vida loca but we've also closed our set with take on me and um, those are kind of interchangeable um, so to answer your question, um, yes, absolutely, there is uh, a very clear sort of strategic um, approach to how we how we prepare a set list for our shows. Yeah, and and when you're doing the covers, is that also following a similar like when you're developing a cover? I mean, does it follow a similar path where you yourself specifically <coughs> have thought this could fit on pipes, and then you pass it over to Ross, and then you kind of beef it up? Well, I would say that's how we used to do it. Um, in the early days of the band, it was like it all sort of came from from me in that sense. But we have a much more, a much more, um, <laughs> much more democratic process, I suppose, to the approach of the uh, of the covers these days. Mm. Whereby, you know, uh, it could be that someone when we're out, or someone in the in the group chat, or someone somewhere says how about this why don't we try this mm. um and uh, then obviously from there it's uh, it's like down to me to see if we can manipulate it onto the pipes um it's sort of 50 50 half of them sort of work in that scale and half of them come really close but don't quite mm. make it yeah. um and it's quite frustrating sometimes in that sense but um take on me for example was one of ross's that came from ross mm. uh because I think there's a ska version, uh, and maybe um, maybe I've been too honest here. There's a ska version <laughs> of Take on Me that was done by Real Big Fish, yeah, yeah. and um, Ross loved that and was like, "Look, we could technically sort of steal that, but but like have it led by the pipes." Yeah. And it was like, "Shit, yeah, yeah, we could, absolutely, we could," and that is pretty much what we what we've done so thanks to real big fish for, well, listen, for that you, you did it well so it's fine however it comes about because it's done well that's what matters 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know that version, I, and I like that more than the original, honestly. That's what I usually <laughs> listen to, so I, I definitely can feel it. But that didn't, for me, as, as already a fan of Real Big Fish and a, and a lover of ska, I definitely didn't hear that and go, hey, wait, they just stole this, you know. On, on the contrary, I thought, now this is delightful, I love this, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. I think you're safe. That, that, that democratic process you mentioned, I remember you mentioning, it must have been on, on your podcast, that um, mm. maybe it was back in your high school days that initially you had like maybe a very strong sort of like idea of like regimental style piping and it needed, you know, kind of that rigid, it must be this way, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, yeah. Do you feel like that had to break down over time for you to maintain the longevity that's got you to this point? You know, did yeah. it have to become democratic to survive? Yeah, if I'm being totally honest, I think that was me. Like, I think that I I was obviously playing in pipe bands at that time that had a, obviously a regimental element to it. I was quite, <clears throat> how might I say, I reckon I was quite, as much as I didn't think it was at the time, now upon reflection, I was quite close-minded with my approach to, to music and was like, you know, uh, and also because I was at that time the main dri the main driver behind the the band, I was like, right, we've got to rehearse at this time, we've got to be here at this time, we've got to do this, it's got to look like X, Y, and Z, and and that, upon reflection, is really a close-minded way of approaching music and mm. I suppose life in general. And as as I've grown as a human, um, and as I've grown as a musician, that has, as you say. Uh, that's faded and that's uh, we've sort of eaten away at that and and actually it's almost like anything goes now um, mm. so so yeah absolutely that had to fade that had to go um, and actually it's um, it's it's quite nice to look back and see how much you have grown um, both as a as a human as a, and uh, as a musician as well over that period of time you know mm. yeah absolutely. <clears throat> and also. And also the pandemic gave us such a rich opportunity to do that actually, mm. to stop and to stop and reflect and to take stock of where we've been in our lives and where we're going and what we want to do and, and who we are and you know. Yeah, how did the timing of rewritten work did were you guys recording that during the pandemic or had you done the I feel like that released like during the months of the pandemic, but also there is this weird time warp with the pandemic too. So maybe I'm mm. you know, my no, my no. brain it's like was that a hundred years ago or two years ago or what, you know? No, that, that 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 came out in twenty nineteen. Oh, okay. um, so it was just a bit before the a bit before the pandemic. Mm. The the timing of the pandemic was atrocious. For, I mean, it wasn't great for anyone, but it was a, it was atrocious for us in the sense that we released that in twenty nineteen, and then the in, the intention was to go full pelt in twenty twenty mm. uh, with our tenth anniversary year celebrations. Yeah. Um, we had a, a few things lined up, uh, and we had a, a massive done the homecoming show uh, which was all all set and had been planned for like 18 months and whatnot and then boom like literally the week of the week of that show that big homecoming show everything shut down and it was like we, we were the first we were one of the first events in our area to be like to be canned and um, we eventually we eventually did the show uh, in March this year uh, and we we started off the show with a massive sort of montage, uh, looking back over the last two years. And but the whole show kicked off with the phone call, uh, or like an uh, sort of acted out version of the phone call, saying, "Look, we're going to have to cancel this. Like mm. this is this isn't cool. Let's aim for October. Let's do this in October." And it was like, you know, no one could have predicted that uh, the world would shut down for as long as it did. Um, and 
fortunately, we obviously got to play that big homecoming show in Dundee in in March, which was it was a, it, it was always going to be an emotional show, but the emotions were hugely heightened by the mm. fact that uh, of what had all gone before, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and it, it makes me think of uh, that that track uh, where I'm from. Hmm from the album where we're from by the way mm-hmm. does does that does that album name where we're from was that at all be, be picked because of the 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 homophone we're you know like your last name we're where we're from we're <laughs> you and your brother <laughs> you know i'd love to say yeah it was but uh, no no one's ever mentioned that before but uh. yeah it's a it's a it's a good shout that it's no it wasn't named after that um lucky no, happens <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess it was kind of like where I'm from is such a center point of that of that record, and it was like where I'm from doesn't reflect the fact that we're a, a band. So where we're from felt like it fitted mm-hmm. a bit better. That's all. <laughs> That's all. Uh, well, just I I love I love I'm I'm kind of imagining that the the feelings around that big that big homecoming show that you just did just I feel like throughout your work there is sort of like a strong thread of. Um, <coughs> Uh, like travel in a way you know like kind of discovering going out but also like talking about where i'm from where we're from you know kind of like this this sort of like love of home throughout as well in fact i i I didn't know the i only yet uh, uh, two three days ago listened to the podcast episode where you talked about the story behind your tune highland road but i Mm. i had been imagining that highland road must have been a road through the highlands (laughs) you know not not a place in in canada but but that track where, where where I'm from, maybe I'll play some of that. But I'll never forget where I'm from. for this idea that there's like sort no. of travel and home and stuff like that throughout your music? No, it's a really interesting point that you raised there. Um, <clears throat> I think that, so first of all, where we're from was was a key piece in our homecoming show as well. In fact, um, we were backed for that track by a 50-piece choir, um, which was incredible, wow. I have to I say. Like, when I was at... Oh man, when I was initially sent the arrangement from the choir, like I cried because it was so, mm. so powerful, like it's unbelievable. Um, 
to go back to your question, yes, absolutely. I think travel inspires me a lot. Um, I'm very fortunate that I get to travel a lot, but equally it inspires me to write a lot. Uh, that's not to say that I didn't write during the pandemic because I, I did. I mean, there was there was not much else going on. Um, <clears throat> but yes, so you've got where, where I'm from, which actually coincidentally is another of Ross's pieces, mm. um, through, to, through to Highland Road and everything in between. There's California Colin, mm. there is... Um, lost in Guangzhou. Yeah, lost yeah. in Guangzhou. Um, there's, yeah, like uh, travel inspires me, and in, in, there's also other references through other songs and other pieces of music from other trips and, and whatnot. I mean, yeah, the, the Highland Road uh, is a piece that I'm especially proud of because um, I guess when people listen to it, as you've just expressed, they don't ever imagine that the Highland Road is. Um, is in Canada. No. Uh, they, they just naturally assume that <clears throat> that it's in Scotland. Um, and, you know, that was, in a, that was a massive piece for me in terms of getting in, getting all the guests on board, um, in terms of the process of writing that, in terms of how it was received. I mean, that piece in particular gave me my highest um, musical chart position. It charted at number 11 in Japan, which is insane because I've mm. never even been to Japan. Mm. Um, and you can say you're big in Japan. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm big in Japan. Um, yeah, the, the Highland Road is a piece that seems to connect with lots of people. I mean, I was out in... I, I, we started off this conversation, James, where obviously we were talking there about how I was just in the US and people knew the words. Like People were singing along and like yeah. it was quite... People over here are always like, ah, oh, the Highland Road, the Highland Road. I have to tell you, uh, we're out, uh, during that trip um, that we're just on there, we were in, I think it was when we were in Asbury Park in New Jersey, and I, I told the story about the Highland Road, and, um, and Ali was with me, and a guy, a guy came over to Ali, and he's like, oh, hey, hey, Ali, uh, the Highland Road, that's so cool, man. T tell me about the Highland Road. And he was like, yeah, well... People ask us all the time about it, right? So yeah. Ali, Ali was just kind of done with it. And he was like, uh, he, he says to the guy, well, you know, that's what it's like in Scotland. You know, there's uh, Highland Road 1, <laughs> Highland Road 2, Highland Road 3, Highland Road 4. And the guy was just like, oh, man, that's so cool. Yeah, but believable <laughs> for us Americans, yeah. though. That's, that's yeah. like Interstate 12, Interstate 14. Yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, we, found, we found it so funny that we had this guy believing that every street in, in Scotland was named Highland Road 1, Highland Road 2. Of course, that that'll be the north-south roads, right? The east-west roads are Lowland Road One, Lowland Road Two, right? Exactly. So if that if that gentleman happens to be listening, apologies for leading you down the garden path. Amazing. Oh, that's great. I, I do. I really like that. I guess I'd forgotten actually until just now as you were talking. It, it's actually is it technically a cabalistic cavalry uh, song? But, <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> I'd, I'd put it in my list of tunes that I wanted to talk to you about, though. I'd kind of forgotten about that. So maybe tell me about that. Why do, why do you have two bands? How did that happen? Yes, so the two-band thing is an interesting question. That um, I had found myself, over the years, writing a lot of bagpipe-led music, but lyrics were not really my thing. I, uh, I enjoy listening to good lyrics, obviously. Like uh, Words are hugely important, and how you convey them, etc., can have such an influence on people and it's a, it can be an incredibly cathartic kind of process as well. Um, but I didn't find myself very good at it, or so I thought. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and then I was in uh, Maxville, Glengarry uh, for the North American Championships that year and I was guesting with 
the guys in the Mariners curse, um, who are now good friends of mine. Um, and obviously I had that moment where I was inspired by the Highland Road and it felt like I was at home despite the fact that I was so far away from home and it was my first time in Canada and it was, it was quite a moving experience in general and then my friend Chris who I was staying with um, at the time I was like you know man like this is this is blown my mind today like I think we ought to write some music and stuff to, to go alongside this now Chris is an amazing poet he's a he's like an absolute wordsmith mm. um, and um, he he sent me this sort of poem this sort of piece and he was like you know here's something that like I've, I've written based on what you said like let's uh, like, feel free to do whatever you wish with it so we I chopped and changed some lines and put, put my own stamp on it and stuff and then that basically became the Highland Road mm. I took the piece to I took the piece to Ross uh, and we had something of a musical disagreement and he was like nah I don't feel like this is a Gliadric piece and I was like hmm I do like but like okay and, and it sort of left me reflecting and like I need to do something with this piece there is some magic in this piece somewhere like this has to be put out there and it was like well okay let's start another project uh, mm. and so I released it with the cavalry obviously had a whole range of guests on it which meant that it was given a bit of a splash um, in the media and that resulted in you know a, a, a great starting point for the Kabbalistic Cavalry project because of all uh, because of all that going alongside it yeah. moving forward I have to say that, that the Kabbalistic Cavalry uh, that's the only piece in the Kabbalistic Cavalry set I would say, or maybe fate or form, that could actually be a Gliadric piece. Mm. Um, and uh, <clears throat> the Kabbalistic Cavalry stuff is mainly, I would say, indie folk rock uh, for the most part, um, quite different from anything that Gliadric has. I mean, uh, Ross was right when you now listen to any of the other stuff um, with the Cavalry, but ironically, we do on occasion now play the Highland Road with Gliadric <laughs> live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's an interesting one, and uh, I guess it was the the start of me finding my feet lyrically uh, that piece, and you know it's it the opportunities to play guitar stuff and and, and experiment with different musical ideas has been great with the with the, with the cavalry, but the, I think aside from <clears throat> aside from the Highland Road, the two bands are quite distinctively separate. Yeah, well, you know that's. I, I had kind of imagined that maybe the Kabbalistic Cavalry was an opportunity for you to maybe focus more on guitars, ukuleles, mm. that kind of stuff, you know. But mm. um, I, I can I can understand, you know, you, if if Ross says I don't know if this fits with Gladrick, you know, m maybe the the best path forward would be not to say, oh yes, it does, and we're gonna <laughs> do it, you know. So that that, that makes sense. Yeah. It, it, it's Ironically, a, Ross actually plays guitar in both projects as well. Oh, does he? Does he? <laughs> <laughs> so then you say, all right, Ross, fine. Then come do it with me under a different name. <laughs> you know, exactly. We're doing it either way. <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> you know, in, in a similar way that it, it's, it's delightfully surprising that you, were, um, that you describe yourself as having been a shy kid who mm. then ended up picking up the pipes and now plays in front of crowds, you know, massive mm. crowds of people all the time, you know. Um, it surprises me that you say that at any point you didn't feel like you were strong as a lyricist because you certainly seem to be. And in listening to your conversations um, on the podcast, I feel like you sound to me like a person who's very enthusiastic, who has a, who has a very strong appreciation for uh, poetry. 
in general, mm. you know. And so I, I don't know. I wonder if there's there's something to this sort of like being a a uh, a lover of words in a way, right? Maybe because mm -hmm. you love them so well, because you grow up reading Robert Burns and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's that contributes to you maybe thinking to yourself, oh, but I could never myself. You know, I read these masters and this, this, what, what they do is amazing. How could I ever try to do that myself? You know, and, but then you try it and actually you can do it, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that <clears throat> I obviously was inspired by Robert Burns. That's that much is clear. It's um, obviously he I've stolen. Um, a couple of his lines for um, for my song Fate or Form. Well, you're, 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 re like... you're required to be inspired by Robert Burns because of where you were born, right? Like, is it, that's a that's a requirement, right? They don't let you out <laughs> if you don't love Robert Burns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm now making myself sound like I steal things from everyone. I, I don't, but <laughs> I, I certainly. I certainly stole the line "No man can tether time or tide" from Thomas Shanter because I think that's such a powerful quote. Mm -hmm. No man, no man can actually ever stop the you know the the the, the hands ticking on the clock. No one, ever, no one yeah. can ever stop the no one can ever stop the the seas, the tides from moving in each day. Um, and so that inspired that massively. A huge part of my lyrical, poetic interest came from the libertines actually mm. um, because as much as they are raucous sort of uh, rock music Peter is such a wordsmith himself um, and his if you, if you listen to some of his solo material if you listen to some of the lyrics with the libertines as well his lyrics are incredible mm. like really uh, it's really powerful stuff and obviously he grew up listening to or like reading works from like say George Orwell, Hunter S. Thompson, etc., who, <clears throat> you know, as poets, were, were like pff, some sort of, I don't know, heroes, Ico like yeah. iconic sort of status in terms of what they, what they produced. So um, I would say that a lot of my lyrical interest and inspiration came from, came from his work, actually. Mm. Um, and obviously, over the years, like I've had the opportunity to then go out and guest with him and with the Libertines and he returned a favour on the Highland Road and stuff so yeah. <clears throat> I think that yeah like there's um, I also think that while the, the pipe stuff is great you can convey a message in a different way lyrically as well and so sure. both are equally don't get me wrong lots of bagpipe pieces can be incredibly moving without lyrics there is absolutely no doubt about that mm -hmm. um, uh, which is and it's so powerful that the instrument has that hold over people but I think you can convey something different with uh, lyrical content and I would say that I as much as you touched upon the idea that you think that I am quite good lyrically I think that I'm still on the path to finding uh, my sort of ultimate goal and where I want to go lyrically. Mm. Mm. Well, and maybe that's maybe that's exactly how it should be, right? Maybe maybe if you if you if you thought to yourself that you'd arrived, then maybe mm. your lyrics wouldn't be quite so good as they are. So and the thing good. is, maybe you never get there. Maybe you yeah. actually never get there. Maybe yeah. you're always searching for that sort of end point, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was. Uh, let's see, was it double standards? The tune mm. that was that. Help me out. Was that the one that you got some Mason's apron into? Or was that? Uh, uh, no, that's Transformation Blues. 
Oh, it was. That's right. That's right. I couldn't remember which yeah, one. Yeah. So move, trans, transformation blues moves from the the section that is called transformation that I wrote, and then when it breaks down, it heads into the mason's apron. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you did with the mason's apron there. Exactly. Hmm. Thanks, but, man. But maybe tell me a little bit about double standards, because I was I just as I as I was listening to double standards kind of on repeat while I was on a flight mm. coming back from Arizona, I was thinking to myself like, how much competition piping did this guy do? You know. Maybe back up a little bit in your story and tell me about was it was it your mother's uncle who taught you to play or did that just get mm-hmm. you started and you went and found somebody else to teach you? Nah, for the most part it was it was Jack. Um, I, I went to lessons with him for years. Um, I, you know, I was quite heavily involved in the Arbroath Pipe Band because I'd had Morag McKenzie, Ryan Kennedy, also sort of giving me some tuition along the way. Uh, Harry Ellis was also influential in that um, and. Um, I would actually say that his son Lindsay and uh, Terry Reid as well uh, through the Tayside Police Pipe Band stuff. Mm. They all, they all, they all had an influence, of course. But I think you have to, you sort of reach a point where you then have to find your own sort of inspirations and influences as well. That's not to say that you know some of the best pipers still go to the lessons from you know their superiors and yeah. stuff. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it came from the lessons and stuff came from Jack initially and. That was pretty much the case um, throughout. Um, and yeah. then, and then, did you did you compete for a you know a chunk of years and then kind of leave competition to to kind of move into the rock space or are the two running together in tandem in your life? Well, um, competition piping, I did quite a bit of when I was a child, but again, I was pain. You have to remember, I was painfully shy uh, yeah. and found it. I actually found it really challenging to go and stand solo in front of a judge and be judged um, because I don't know I found it really tough actually to the point that my mum often could not enter the room or enter the competition space or enter the field like anywhere near me because she, she got so nervous for me because oh, I really? was so painfully sh- yeah 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 um, and, and ultimately because of that shyness because of that nervousness that I experienced as well I didn't achieve like a 
probably could have or should have uh, in solo competitive piping. Mm. I then went in. I then went into pipe bands uh, as well. Um, I have already touched upon the fact that the the Arbroath pipe band were um, a massive part of my life. Um, I sort of grew up there they also helped me along the way Jack had taken me along there I'd met lots of people there that became friends and played with them for a long time right up to the point of becoming um, a pipe sergeant with them uh, we had some success in the grade 4 and 3 um, sort of categories um, I moved on to um, the Tayside Place Pipe Band uh, in grade 1 um, and then they, they sadly folded uh, because of lots of different things, but mainly the police restriction um, in Scotland, which was a real shame because the Tayside Police were a great band for our mm-hmm. local area. And then from there, I ended up back at Arbroath. Um, but I would say that when I ended up back at Arbroath, the challenge for me was the fact that Gliadric stuff was rising, we were getting a lot more bookings, we were getting a lot more interest, mm-hmm. and ultimately, pipe band season clashes completely and entirely with festival season yeah. for other bands. And thus, I had to make a, a conscious decision um, to stop playing in pipe bands in order to in order to basically push and promote what we do as a, as a band, because my feeling was that we should take on every opportunity to promote my slash our music for as long and as far uh, far flung as as we can because ultimately pipe bands will always be there uh, and i don't mm. doubt that at some point in my future i will return to pipe bands in the pipe band scene but for now obviously um the main focus is you know those festivals and stuff through the summer which are obviously amazing it's the festivals are a very very special um thing to be a part of and to perform at and uh yeah i, d- I definitely i'm i am wholly um i think justified in my decision to, oh yes you are to do yeah. that <laughs> yeah i don't think anyone's second guess you at this point for sure mm. and, and listen craig if you if for whatever reason you decide you want a nice quiet high desert retirement in utah a few decades hmm. from now, I know a few pipe bands that would be more than happy to welcome me <laughs> in. Nice. Well, 20, 2056, we yeah, said, right? That's, that's where we <laughs> end the road trip here in Utah. That's what we do. <laughs> Brilliant, man. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so do you feel like right now, do you still feel like in your, in your mind you're calling back on those, those competition medleys and stuff for any of the inspiration when you're sitting down to write a new piece? Or do you feel like you're very much in a different headspace right now when you're making music? Hmm. I would say that initially there was a lot of influence from you know pipe bands and stuff. Yeah. Uh, you touched upon the Mason's Apron, which uh, obviously forms. Uh, I mean, it forms a, a significant part in many pipe bands, medleys, and stuff. Yeah. Um, or at least in concept pieces. Yeah. Uh, I would say that previously, yes, there was a lot of um, pipe band medley inspiration, etc. Um, in my stuff, but actually now, like I'm, I've been removed from pipe bands for long enough that you know I, I feel like I'm doing something different and in a different headspace yeah. from that. Um, so yeah. Do you, do you ever feel like um, <coughs> do you like I I don't know how I want I want to say this in the right way. Um, mm. Do you do you ever feel like you are uh, you encounter crowds um, or listeners? who maybe reference Gladrak sorry I keep trying to pronounce your, your the name of the band hmm. right Gladrak right mm-hmm. yeah yeah do you, do you ever feel like um 
you encounter people who are sort of like referencing your work uh, in relationship to the Red Hot Chili Pipers? Uh, yes, and I think it would be un- unnatural if that um, if that was not the case. Uh, they um, <clears throat> they opened up that sort of platform for lots of bands like us, and you know while we make a marked point of being ourselves and being unique and being and trying to be different from them, um, there it has to be said that without them there might not be bands like ourselves because they mm-hmm. obviously there was Gordon Duncan and whatnot and then them who just sort of blasted that sort of closed minded ceiling that people had um, about the bagpipes completely and utterly into the water which mm-hmm. like opened up as, as I say like a whole new opportunity for bands like ours so while i would not go on record and say oh we like we are here like copying the red hot chili papers or being an extension of them we tried to do our own thing but without them i think that it would have been very hard for bands like ours to exist mm. if that makes any kind of sense yes that does make sense and that's exactly why i wanted to be cautious because it's it's obvious to anyone listening that you are your own thing right but mm. i can imagine that there w- you might have that experience of like going to play a show and and being like oh my gosh i love the red hot chili pipers and be like well but that's they're not here tonight you know what i mean and, yeah. and I, i'd imagine that but but yeah that, that that's a sensible relationship if they're a trailblazer you know in a way um that's then a you, good word. you've carved out your yeah. own space of course but mm. yeah mm. yeah yeah for sure yeah now, and and of course i like i can't imagine them doing for example a tune like like skirling ska which which is one that I really like quite a lot. Um, yeah. See, was that one on Was that one on your first album, or is that on rewritten? No, that Skull and Scar was not on any of those. Skull and Scar was a one-off single that was written oh, was for the. It was for the Commonwealth Games when they came to Glasgow, um, in what was that 2014? Uh, I think 2014. Yeah, it was written for the Commonwealth Games because we were involved in the handing over of the Commonwealth baton, uh, and so we decided to write something that reflected that and we went for it because we felt that a piece like Skull and Ska where the Ska influences pulled in some of the different influences from sort of around the Commonwealth if you like yeah no that makes sense love that too mm. so thanks man th- now that's that's one event you've played you guys have played some crazy events do you do you, do you feel like like if, if a little bit early on like you you played for like the Dalai Lama, you know, mm. <laughs> or like the Olympic torch, that kind of stuff. This is stuff that you've done, right? Do you feel like those kinds of things kind of set a trajectory for you where like right now, like, shoot, you know, like when you played for the queen, did you think to yourself, well, I've already played for Arnold Schwarzenegger, so this is no big deal. You know, like, yeah. like, like to what degree you're a shy kid, right? So the shy kid, yeah. Craig, how are you doing what you're doing now? Have, have these experiences kind of stacked in a way to where at this point would anything get you nervous? You know, I think, um, 2012 was a funny old year because uh, within, I think it was about 10 days of, of each other, we, um, I had played for the Dalai Lama visiting Dundee and then we were on stage there in the town um, welcoming in the Olympic torch, which is just, for those two things to have happened in such a short space of time for some young kids, I mean, that was 10 years ago. Must have been right? surreal. So, Yes, yeah, so I I would have been nineteen, right? Uh, and so for for a, a group of young kids like to to have had that opp- those those two opportunities within such a short space of time was quite uh, was quite mind blowing actually. Yeah. And uh, Ali and I recently uh, running from the the uh, the the Dundee 
show that we touched upon, the homecoming one through to September, we've been like talking about how we'll be riding a wave um, of like excitement during that period from March to mm-hmm. September. But actually we've probably been riding that wave since 2012 you've been riding Um, that wave for a decade now (laughs) yeah that i mean those experiences are just unprecedented just uh, like so incredibly we're just so incredibly fortunate and lucky and Mm. um, grateful to have had those opportunities and experiences um to go back to your second point i don't think that i don't think it would be natural to just sort of take those kind of standard those kind of levels of events and gigs and just be like oh yeah just another one you know like uh, just sort of play it off like yeah. when those sort of events when those sort of scale of uh, events or experiences or whatnot sort of come our way like they whether it's a phone call whether it's an email whatever it is th- there is still absolutely that buzz of oh wow like this still is going to be though. oh yeah absolutely and mm-hmm. we've never we've ne- i we have never lost sight of how lucky um, we are to have those kind of standard of um, performances, you know? Mm. Now, I, I, I'm sure that... I don't think the World Peace Tartan was a thing yet in 2012, but I di- it, did, it did ding off in my mind that I know I've seen you in a World Peace Tartan kilt, mm. and I've seen the Dalai Lama wearing a World Peace Tartan uh, scarf. Um, mm. But that wasn't a thing in 2012, right? That, that hadn't started yet. <laughs> Wrong, actually. Really? The, um, yeah. So the, the the world peace town itself was launched during the Dalai Lama's visit to Scotland oh, well, in 2012. Yeah, that makes sense. But I thought this is just me having my own awareness, right? I wasn't aware of it that long ago, and so assuming that, of course, my 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 awareness reflects the world. You know, that that makes a lot of sense, though. Well, there you go. Well. Yeah, well, the the World Peace Tartan was designed by Victor Spence, mm-hmm. uh, and Victor was responsible for the organisation and planning of the Dalai Lama's oh, visit. Oh, really? To so very much in that, involved. Yeah. Huh? yeah. So he <clears throat> naturally, I mean, it was the perfect sort of um, product placement at that time. To be honest, uh, yeah. the the, uh, the the opportunity was taken to have the Dalai Lama wear the World Peace Tartan during that visit to Scotland uh, and thus that was the launch of that tartan that, at that point yeah oh there you go it's a lovely tartan I do like it a lot mm. and a lovely vision behind it too of course yeah yeah absolutely it's a beautiful tartan and I'm obviously privileged to be an ambassador for that as well yeah what does that entail for you do you do you just try to wear it now and again and talk about it or do they have you do events or what, what does that mean to be an ambassador for the world peace tartan well, I suppose it's first of all in, like increasing awareness of its yeah. existence, um, uh, increasing awareness of its its message, um, which obviously is, is wholly um, associated with world peace. And each of the colours um, in the tartan um, have different significance uh, and relevance to it, um, which is uh, which is amazing. Um, I uh, obviously have opportunities to play at lots of different events around the world and those particularly that have um, peace connotations I, I tend to wear the mm-hmm. world peace tartan for. I have to say that, you know, I, I am, one, one thing that's been challenging of late is like increasing my ambassadorial roles, which means that people are always like, oh, you're going to wear my kilt today, you're going to wear this uh, here, you're going to yeah. wear that there and it's yeah. like, ah, <laughs> but you know. It's just a privilege to obviously be representing all of them, and the world, world peace is such an important message um, yeah. to to get out there, a hundred percent. 
Yeah. Especially, especially at a time when you know you've got a terrible situation going on in in Ukraine, in and, Ukraine yeah. and and you can't forget you know the, some of the other uh, things that are going on in you know Palestine and and whatnot as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your mm. your path, Craig, seems to me to have been just just wonderfully random. <coughs> you know, the prison, <laughs> prison inmate pen pals, a chance meeting in a urinal. Uh, all these things like leading to shows and connections and stuff. Do you feel like right now, I mean, the 10 year mark feels like a great spot for it. And, uh, you know, you've been doing it right now. When you look back, you know, over this trajectory, um, in spite of having lived all of this, does it ever feel disorienting to you? Like, how how is this happening? Yes. I mean, I've, I've had it said to me lots of times over the years that I that I have the gift of the gab, and 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 having not spoken for most of my for most of my childhood, I think I'm making up. For You're it making now. up for it. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I like I love connecting with people. I love yeah. talking with people. I love, you know, uh, and that certainly helps my. It certainly helps me because you know people like enjoy a good conversation and like uh, an opportunity to network. Um, do I find it disorienting? Yes, one hundred percent. I mean. Uh, I've touched upon already the fact that the pandemic has meant that everyone had that opportunity to stop and go, okay, wow, this is this has happened, this is nuts, this is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. But actually, um, heaven forbid this happened, and we don't want it to happen 100%. But if there were to be another pandemic now and everything shut back down again, I think that it'd be the same sort of feeling based upon the last eight months, eight uh, nine yeah. months, because you haven't everything time, was. Eh? Yeah, everything that's happened for me and us in the last eight to nine months has been equally mind-blowing. You know, there was a point that naturally, I'm sure lots of musicians thought this, that there was a point during all of it that you were sat in the house thinking, will will the world ever yeah. be as it was again? Like, will, will we ever get back to playing events on this scale? Will we ever get back to doing those things or is that is that done is that chapter finished and we move on but obviously I, I've been incredibly fortunate that they, that's not happened and that everything has just blown up and been just as crazy and mental ever since but it's mm-hmm. great and I love it and we love it and it's um yeah it is incredibly disorienting though <laughs> yeah well it's it, let me let me just really strongly <coughs> recommend anybody listening if you haven't already checked out Craig's <coughs> podcast it's just chuck full of awesome stories and the you know the relationship that you have with with uh it, with Ali and with your guests mm. you know comes through. It, I feel like I now I, I in contrast to yourself am an enthusiastic podcast uh, connoisseur and have been yeah. for years. And for me, what what I what I love about the sort of like the magic of entering into a conversation is that when there's chemistry between you know when when the two hosts are friends and they have a history, mm. you know, they could be talking about anything. And I would love listening, you know, just because there's there's something magic about that, and you, it's achieved in this show. So there will be a link in the show notes below here if you want to go check that show out. It's a good one. Thank you. I mean, uh, yeah, the the thing with the the thing with the podcast uh, is that when our friends listened to it during the during the pandemic, they said it it felt like they were just sat in the pub with Ali and I, yes. and that we were just sort of bouncing off of each other naturally as we would do. Like most of that, like. Obviously, we had, we made notes on what we wanted to ask our guests and where we wanted the show to go, but it was by no means scripted. Mm-hmm. So much of that was just like off the cuff, like chatting as we as we went and just sort of sharing memories and stories. And 
What I am proud of, though, with the podcast is how we tackled a whole range of you know societal issues from mental health to addiction to yeah. body confidence and lots of different powerful societal messages. Uh, and those, yet, those were so surprising to me, but so well handled. <clears throat> Thanks, man. I mean, yeah, it, it, it kind of, again, when we reflect on that, when we reflect on that journey with the podcast, to have managed to cover so many societal issues and for the podcast to have been so widely listened to. I mean, at this point, I think uh, on the day of recording here, we have charted in the top 200 podcasts in 19 different countries today, which is yeah. just staggering, to be it honest was, with you. What like, was it? Was it Afghanistan? Did it, did it pop it up <laughs> yes, in? we, we, hit, we <laughs> hit number one in Afghanistan on the, week of the, on the week of the Taliban resurgence. Don't well, ask me how that happened. I don't know, but it's just another random happenstance that, uh, yeah. that has occurred in our lives. <laughs> Man. Well, that's uh, it, 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 I I I I could I couldn't be happier for you. It's it's just it's just awesome. It's I I wouldn't have expected like um, someone who's a really great musician isn't mm. always going to be also a great conversationalist, you know. Yeah, sure. But your podcast could exist all by itself, and it's a great thing all by itself, you know. And so your music is a great thing. The podcast is a great great thing, and I feel like listeners listening to the two probably are getting just a wonderful experience getting it all together, you know. Yeah, I hope so because I mean, ultimately, that that's that's another thing about the podcast that um, we wanted to sort of share some of those behind the scenes sort of and give give people a backstage angle mm-hmm. uh, of some of the mad things that have happened. And I think I hope that we've managed to capture that, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. That's that's mm. been a delightful part. Yeah, hearing the story of Highland Road, for example, you know, just mm. especially there where I already had a conce- I already had a conception <laughs> in my head of what this song, where it came from, and what it was about. And so to have that that turned turned upside down and find out this other story was yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I think it's important that people know that, for example, because at the time when it was released, everyone was like, well, this is just an independence anthem for Scotland. <laughs> and I'm like, right? I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, hold on a minute. No, it's <laughs> not. There is no political connotation to the piece at all. Yeah. It's, a, it's a travel story, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, Greg, I've I've kept you for for an hour, and I I don't want to squander my time with a with a big star guest, but I also don't want to take up your whole weekend. Um, are there any tracks from your albums or or singles um, that you would like to hit upon a bit um, before we draw to a, hopefully a graceful close? Um, oh man, I mean, I could tell stories about any of them. To be honest with you, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if there's any, are there any others that you want to mention that you think? Oh, well, tell me about this one. I, I did feel like "Summer Rain" would be a <coughs> lovely closer. Um, if if that if that feels like a good closer f- to to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, "Summer Rain." <laughs> it's personally actually one of my ironically one of my least favorite oh, pieces it? in a Gle- it's one of my least favorites in a Gleadric set yeah it's one of Graham and Mark's favorite it's the first like when we when we sit down to write a set list the two of them are like summer in and I'm like oh what again <laughs>
now, upon reflection, like it's quite throwaway. So, for example, I think it captures some of the punk sort of attitude of like the previous bands and influences that I've mentioned. Yeah. I think that I think that arrangement-wise, we could have done so much more with it, and that it feels quite throwaway. Um, which is probably why I don't like it as much. There's not a major, there's not a major story behind it. I guess it was, you know, inspired by that, you know, that sunniness that sometimes we experience in Scotland, believe it or not. Um, coupled right. with, <laughs> dappled coupled sun, with, right? <laughs> yeah, that sort of idea of like sunshine and the, the rain coming down and like I don't know it sounds really cliched and <laughs> well hey listen let's pick a different one then <laughs> well what I will say is there was a, <clears throat> there was a festival in Germany that we played and we opened with summer rain and it was nice and sunny when we walked out and the oh, second perfect. that we the, the second that we kicked into summer rain it started raining it was like yeah it was mad it was crazy yeah let's yeah maybe there's another one that's well I do I do really like thing. nowhere man that's another favorite of mine I like that one quite a lot well that's a, that's a Ross story actually it was inspired it was it was one of his and I can't I think I think he said something about there was it's kind of like there was a guy that he kept seeing when he was out running and uh, I can't remember the actual background behind it to be okay no, no, uh, no sweat I got a, a, I got a whole list here so no <laughs> <laughs> try, try again <laughs> let me try my luck again here what about uh, maybe I would, would it be overly sentimental to ask you to tell me about Granny Gordon's tune? Because mm. I feel like that if anybody, if it's got Granny in the title, it must be special somehow. Yeah, well, that's a good one to ask me about. Um, I bet you're, I bet you're relieved. <laughs> yeah, here we um, go. Finally hit on one. There we go. <coughs> My great gran was incredible. She. Oh, so it's um, your granny. It's your granny then. My great gran. Yeah, the she. My great gran. Yeah, she. Um, I sometimes credit her actually as being the musical influence, the person that sort of drummed the music into me because she'd sit me on her knee, and this is some of my earliest memories of my childhood, she'd sit me on her knee and she'd what she called diddle me. And that means just like sort of bouncing me on her knee and singing like Scottish, little little Scottish sort of, almost like bothy ballads. So, that sounds like nonsense, but but she did that to me for, from, you know, from a very, very young age. And, and actually, I've been quite intrigued by some of the research behind how that can influence someone musically. And there mm. is absolutely a correlation between, you know, being exposed to music like that from a young age to actually, you know, experiencing a talent for music. Her, is, is, this, is this your great-grand on your mother's side or your father's side? Mum's mum's side, uh, and her her husband, my great granddad, was a was a great fiddle player as well. So oh. I think that the, there was an interest uh, in Scottish music from from there certainly, and I, I do think that she was a massive influence in terms of that. She loved the pipes. She was it's a hard it's a hard tale to tell actually. And in, in in a few years ago, this must have been five years ago. I wrote that piece as a bag, purely as a bagpipe piece um, for her 95th birthday. Mm. Um, and um, we, when we initially went to, we were obviously, we planned that uh, big 10th anniversary show in Dundee. Um, that was a, a major piece in our show because we wanted to, you know, um, recognize her and all that sort of thing. Mm. And then she very, very sadly um, passed with COVID. Oh, um, 
right at the start of the pandemic. She was in a care home by that point and it, it mm. pretty much wiped out the whole home, I think. Um, oh, she would have been 100 last month um, and I'm pretty sure she might well have made it to 100 were it not for, for the pandemic, you know. And uh, I have now retired the piece from playing because we... we, we 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 did we actually played it last uh, we pl- we played it in March yeah. at the Dundee show we played we paid tribute to her but it was the most emotional wreck of a thing that I've Must ever been, been yeah. on stage like the, you know I could feel the tears trickling down my cheeks as I was as I was playing it I turned I turned round and could see Paul like almost using his drumsticks to dry his eyes mm, yeah. like uh, it was like every, there was sort of not a dry eye in the place yeah. um, and at that point I sort of said look we're, we're retiring this we can't we can't do this again um, it was like she was an incredible incredible lady um, and one that you know we all very very sadly miss yeah but actually I'm really proud of the piece because I think it it, it captures her Quite, quite well actually in terms of you know it, 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 it it's a very moving piece of music that I, well I feel that it is and, and I'm and I'm particularly proud of um, of of that one yeah. I do remember I do remember the, the there's the little twinkly guitar parts the, and the the big sprawling sort of spacey kind of solo that comes in towards the end and we'd we'd actually finished in the studio um, rewritten um, and <coughs> I said. Uh, I turned and said to Ross, look, do you know what, that needs a big sprawling sort of spacey solo, get your slider, get your guitar, um, let's, let's try it, and he, he smashed it right away and it was like, wow, that is exactly what that piece was needing, um, yeah. <laughs> 